Hello and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. Coming up, Stephen Mangan throws us into adventure with his new book, Escape the Rooms. Jessie Ware talks all things food, love and chaos in her food memoir, Omelette. Jack Guinness tells us about pulling together the queer Bible. And Joe Wicks has plenty of healthy recipes with him in his brand new cookbook, Joe Wicks Family Food. But before all that, here's Maria. We see, we've got all these Marias, and really, it's only the Sound of Music one I like, but I, I, st- I still try the other ones. I try the other ones, but no, this is the best one. This, that's the one we like. Yeah. This, this is Ollie Murs. Yeah, I we mean, like Ollie Murs. That's a good one. It's got drama to it, but somehow, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, what about the blondie one? Maria, Maria. Oh, well, that, that. that was the original one. Oh, oh. Uh, there is it. No, I can't see it. It's, it's the, oh, well, no, no, it's in have there somewhere. Have you got them but all I can't to hand, Graham? Do of you, course do I you have. carry them around with you in your yes, pocket? Yes, I do. They're all on my phone. <laughs> all, the various text alerts and ringtones. <laughs> That's what that is. Graham, do you know something? I we do. are not only on Virgin Radio, but we're also on Virgin Radio Pride. Have you been listening? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. It's marvellous. I have listened a couple of times, particularly the, the things at seven o'clock. That's kind of when I'm making the tea. And uh, there was a really good... You can listen to this again. It was uh, Steve Denyer talking to Michael Cashman. And it's a show called My Pride Playlist. And I think it's a weekly thing. And uh, it was just so good. There was a really cute one with H and Gareth Thomas chatting about the life and uh, tea or coffee from the Drag Race off of Drag Race was off on of last Drag night. Race yeah, yeah so now we're going on Virgin Radio and Virgin Radio Pride we're broadcasting to literally zillions of people I mean you know this is insane it's insane Graham. it's, <laughs> it's off, insania it's off the scale <laughs> don't suppose you saw the tennis last night from Roland Garros did you oh I did see a lot of tweets about it oh uh, t- my goodness uh, it was superhuman it was absolutely extraordinary. It was Djokovic uh, uh, and Djokovic and Rafa Nadal. Well, I was going to say they sounded really similar. Djokovic <laughs> and Djokovic. <laughs> yes. That's he hard for a commentator. Himself. That's kind of where, it was, where it's come it was, to. It was against a wall. He painted a white line on a wall. And also and he... because it, they, in France they have a curfew of 11 o'clock and it was sort of 10 to 11. Oh, le and, curfew. Oh, yes, maybe. <laughs> and, and then the authorities decided to waive the curfew few for all the people in Roland Garros and then sadly Rafa Nadal hurt his foot his foot was ouchy and then the last set was quite quick and so it's a bit of an anticlimax but wowza human you know fitness at its absolute best but I know sport is not your thing well no I mean I, I used to watch Wimbledon with my mother when when I was a child but the minute I left the home I thought I don't need to do that anymore <laughs> and so I never have again do you're telling me Nadal with the ouchy foot lost yes sadly he did but uh, the most amazing third set it's worth catching up on people at home if you haven't seen it because it was just utterly intriguing. Oh, Graham, I have to tell you, I had an intruder on my roof at 1am in the morning. Yes. I'm guessing it was a seagull in stolen boots. No, I I can tell, you know, every seagull (laughs) I know by the stomp of its foot. (laughs) I have got seagulls up there doing nesting things and egg things. But no, this was a stompy stompy and it happened twice and so the second time happened, I heard them jump down onto the lean-to towards the side and and I threw the window open and said, what are you doing? <laughs> like that, in my best boomy man voice. They thought, oh, there's someone from a children's book <laughs> shouting at us. <laughs> yes, the big friendly giant. 
And this person with a hat on, sort of like a bobble hat, didn't turn around. And I, so I had to say, to him, what are you doing? Anyway, this person, man, claimed that he was looking for his cat. What do you in, think? Well, wait, in a, wearing a bowler hat. At no, one not in the a morning. bowler hat, a, a sort of bobble hat, a beanie, beanie, beanie. Oh, beanie. Oh, you're allowed to wear a beanie at one yeah, o'clock in the morning. Yeah, bowler hat would have been foolish. Yes, I thought, I thought, I thought like, the, the, cat story, the cat story made no sense if he was wearing a bowler hat. Unless <laughs> <laughs> it was the office cat. But <laughs> <laughs> looking for his cat. And I said, but you've been wandering about on my roof for a long time. He said, oh, well, to be fair, my cat is very heavy footed. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, does he own a tiger? <laughs> and then I couldn't get that kept going round in my head, thinking that's not a real story, is it? That he wasn't looking for his cat, but he claimed to live just over the way. And um, and then I realised as I was you're, cl- you're dating him now. Yeah, 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. Now we're married. And then I realised that I'd thrown the window open because I, you know, jumped out of bed in half sleep, one o'clock in the morning, with no clothes on. <gasps> Good job well. he was wearing a beanie and had his <laughs> face towards his now escape we, route. Now we know why he didn't turn around. <laughs> people would pay good money, Graham. I mean, at they that would. time in the morning in Hastings, people would pay good money for that sort of view. That's all I can tell you. Mm, lovely. But he hasn't returned. He hasn't been tempted back. Well, I've set all manner of traps for him now. Man traps, sticky paper and the like. Virgin Radio. I just say, Graham, I've just had a message from my neighbour who said it was indeed her son looking for his cat. Oh, well, but that's nice. I know. <laughs> I think she was apologising. <laughs> she never mentioned the naked part. I'm going to move swiftly on and give you a problem. <laughs> He's in care now. He's traumatised. <laughs> Yes, babbling to himself. The cat, the cat is now looking for him. <laughs> okay, here we go. Stop okay. insulting me. I'm going to read you a letter. Stop it. <clears throat> Dear Graham and Maria, I have been very best friends with Jane and Lydia for almost 20 years now. We are all turning 30 this year and Jane does not seem to be dealing with it well and has been getting very upset whenever our birthdays are brought up. Uh, We've parted through our 20s in London together and none of us have ever been particularly focused on settling down. But Lydia and I have both married in the last few years. Jane's last relationship ended five years ago and she's been single ever since. I'm going to speed up slightly on this one. Jane has always wanted to eventually have lots of children and she is now panicking that time is running out for her. She says she has always just assumed she'd either have a new boyfriend or be back with her ex by the time she turned 30. But he recently got engaged to someone else. Oh no. Of course, we try to comfort her and tell her that 30 is still very young and she has all the time in the world. But when we try to say this, she just says, well, that's easy for you to say, both of you with your husbands how can we make her how can we make our friend feel better and that is from joe in brighton joe in brighton you are 30 years old that is a mere blip in the time in the terms of life um journey so i would just say to your friend look she's still obviously very unhappy about the fact that her relationship ended and it's pretty hard to swallow when you hear that your ex-boyfriend who you kind of still hankering after getting back together with uh has got engaged to someone else but that is pretty final and so that is the sort of you know the nail in the coffin has been hammered 
She now must pick herself up, dust herself off. She's only 30. She's got many years of fertility left, fingers crossed. And get on and find someone else to have a million children with. There's a great big pool of people out there. Um, Jane, is it Jane? Yes. And, um, And you're wasting time. Why are you listening to us? You're wasting time. Get on it. Get on the interweb. Find yourself a, a, fa- a baby father and a boyfriend. Yes. There. I mean, the good thing is, I think what's good here is that she's kind of woken up. She's realised, oh, I can't just assume that, you know, something's going to happen. I, If I want something to happen, I need to make it happen. You know, that... The, the ex-boyfriend isn't coming back. You're not just going to bump into someone. If you want to meet someone, if you uh, if your plan is for this big family, um, then, you know, do something about it. And then if it doesn't happen, at least you, you think to yourself, oh, well, I gave it my best shot, rather than I sat at home being very surprised that I was single. And very you know. cross with everybody who wasn't single. But yeah. also, if you make it the absolute focus of your life, I'm not saying that you should do that, Jane. No. I'm saying live <laughs> your life and be open to all possibilities and opportunities that come your way and don't make it the focus because there's nothing more unappealing than somewhere someone wearing an invisible t-shirt saying I am desperate I would like to get married and have children you know it's like showing a wedding dress on the second date you yeah. just don't do it so you must maintain the carefree Jane that attracted the boyfriend that is now engaged to someone else yes. <laughs> so that you can attract someone else too well, she was 19 then. But uh, no, 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 it'll be fine. It'll be fine, Jane. Don't worry. Um, I just think, you know, there's ways... There also, I think, you decide, don't you, prioritise things. If you really want to have a child, you know, you could do that by yourself. You don't have to have the whole thing. But if you want the whole thing, then go for that. And if it doesn't happen, then think again. You know, I think... You've got to, I, I say this all the time, but you've got to enjoy the life you are living rather, rather than, than mourning the life you're not living. Yeah, also I feel because Jane has been single for five years since the relationship ended, I feel she's either put this ex up on a pedestal and, um, you know, is looking for someone exactly the same and he's perfection, she wants him or nothing because she's clearly been hankering after getting back together with him. She thought she would be by the time she was 30. Um, so, Jane... Change your expectations. I don't want to say lower your expectations because I don't know what your ex-partner was like. If he was indeed a beautiful Adonis and great in every sense, then... uh, Don't don't rub it in. Yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) But, you know, people change. He's probably horrible now. Ask his new fiancé. Sarah in Sheffield says, Be your friend's wingwoman. Don't be a smug, married, spending cosy nights in. Go out to bars slash events with her. Boost your confidence after being stuck inside of a pandemic. Well, that's a very that is good advice, and also then Joe gets to have a laugh as well. Joe, Joe's out on the lash. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Uh, Jane's in Essex. Personally, I think she should stop trying to make her friends feel bad for being married. Self pity is not a great uh, outfit, and she will never attract someone wallowing in her own misery. Oh, hello. I know this sounds harsh. It does a little, Jane, uh, but sometimes a bit of tough love is exactly what is needed. And you are right. I mean. She shouldn't kind of moan that her friends are happier than she is. 
They need to plan a 30th party for Jane somewhere where there are loads of single men lingering about. Don't book some lodge in the countryside with all the girls. She'll be married by the 31st, of, by her 31st birthday. That's Neil from Glasgow. Sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Uh, Michael's of Gravesend. Surely Jane's friends have some eligible males. Set up some blind dates for her. Have a dinner party. Um, the ex is gone and you need to move on. Be proactive. Very wise. And Janet, Janet's in Bedfordshire. If it troubles her that much, suggest she looks into getting her eggs frozen and save for IVF in case of issues. Saying that, you potentially have at least another good 10 years to have children. Just be proactive. It will take the biological clock stress off you and enable you to be relaxed when searching for a partner. Yeah, I mean, I think it's early days. Early days, a bit soon for that, I'd say. I'm going to give the delicious cheesecakes to Sarah in Sheffield, which is, you know, basically, they all get to go out. <laughs> they all get to have a laugh, uh, which surely, that, that, that's the best, um, the best solution. Graham's Oh, I'm very disappointed in myself. Very disappointed. Why? I've let, I've let myself down. You've I've let the school, school down. down. <laughs> Is that because you didn't know the, the end of that song? No, no, it was, uh, I was trying to touch, the, I thought I'd be clever and touch the screen rather than push a button. And I should have pushed the button, I don't know. Oh, don't uh, try and be clever, Graham. it doesn't got, really suit you. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. <laughs> uh, have you got another letter, please? I have, and I shall read it forthwith. <clears throat> Dear Grace, quite short. Dear Graham and Maria, I'm in the process of buying my first house, which is amazing, but I've run into a bit of a problem, as my girlfriend assumes that she'll be moving in with me. My name is the only one on the mortgage, and she's not suggested that she'll be putting any money into the house, just that she'll be living with me. We've been together for five years, and I definitely want us to live together at some point, but she's just assumed and now it's that it's now, and now it's made it difficult for me to approach the conversation about either not living together or her paying rent or contributions to the mortgage. What should I do? And that is from Matt in Stoke-on-Trent. Matt in Stoke-on-Trent, wake up and smell the coffee. Five years you have been together with your girlfriend. Five years. And are you telling me that you have never had this conversation about you buying a house, about living together? She's assumed because you haven't told her otherwise. She has given you five years of her life and you're saying, it's, it seems to me, Matt, in Stoke-on-Trent, I'm trying not to be too horrible to you, but it seems to me that it's about paying rent or contributions to the mortgage. Now, if she's making contributions to the mortgage, she should be on the mortgage because if you split up and she's paid all that money and... And then you still have the house. So, you know, you're a bit slow on the uptake here, Matt. You should have had this conversation a long time ago. If she's just assumed it's because it's kind of expected that after five years, <coughs> excuse me, you will be moving in together. What is wrong with people that don't actually open their mouth and have the conversation? You've got to have it. Is it about living together? Is it about you're not ready? Is she the one that you want to spend your life with? Or some of your life with? I'm not saying you're going to die soon. Um, <laughs> or is it about the rent and the contributions? Either way, stop being a big baby, Matt, in Stoke-on-Trent, and open your mouth and have the conversation like a grown-up person. Well, now, I've got some good news for Matt in Stoke-on-Trent. Oh, what's that then? Well, here's the thing. I'm not... I mean, I, I hesitate to say this, 
but I think I know something about this. What? Say yeah. what now? Is this your letter? Did you write it? No, but I did get a mortgage once and I had a partner living with me. And you have to, if you're getting a mortgage for a property and someone else is going to be living in that property, they have to sign a form saying they have no claim on the house. Is that true? Is that just not in well, the olden days, Graham? Well, maybe they had to change. Maybe they changed the rules. <laughs> but 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 back Somebody in the olden days, somebody will let us know. Someone will tell us. But back in the olden days, you had to do that. And I I mean, I don't see why it would have changed because a mortgage lender doesn't want any complications. You know, they don't want to. You know, because. I'm sure there's some legal thing about you can't make people homeless. So if you sign a form saying, I don't mind if you make me homeless, then, you know, everyone, everyone's a winner. <laughs> but I think if you... So if that's you, the technical part that we don't yes, really know but if, if it's So true if you or not. shove that form under your girlfriend's nose, Matt, um, one, she won't like it, but two, <laughs> it'll, force really? you, it'll force you to have the conversation you haven't had yet. But don't you think he's been incredibly weak... Sorry, Matt in Stoke-on-Trent, for not having this going. Writing to us, you've been but with wait this a minute, woman but she, five years. But, but, but she didn't say anything either. You know, she's got to think, oh, thank goodness Matt's buying us a house. Well, he's not. He's buying himself a house. I think this is ridiculous. What do people talk about when they're in a relationship for five years? Oh, Just I don't talk know. about what they're having for tea and never talk about whether yeah. or not they're moving in together. You know, I is cannot that, believe this. Does that cheese smell off to you? That kind of thing. <laughs> Where's really... my blue underpants? <laughs> I put them in the wash a week ago. Why haven't they been done? That's who Matt is. That's the man Matt is. Frankly. No, I must. I know. I'm. I don't. I'm not as again Matt as you are. I. I think. And also, I, if this thing that I'm talking about is still true i think it saves the day because because the the girlfriend will be mighty put out if she's told Might you're save living the here day doesn't save the relationship i mean did he go and look at this house on his own did he have, did he take her along to see the house before he decided to buy the house it all just seems so autonomous to me and and that there is a partner of five years knocking about the place that he's not really I don't want to live with her yet I think maybe after we've lived together for 30 years maybe I'll live with her is that kind of thing it is odd that I definitely want to live with her at some point that seems odd to me you wish Matt if she's listening to this get out pack your bags and go (laughs) lady Um, once she signs that form it doesn't matter Uh, you know because he doesn't want to get a mortgage with her clearly mind you well, Why not? It, he seems to be obsessed with paying the rent or contract. I mean, can you imagine charging somebody rent that you've been living with for five years? Can you imagine? I'm getting myself furious, Graham. Um, but I think either buy a house together or finish this relationship, you sound like a twit. Really? Because I just think, I think she shouldn't assume <laughs> that dating Matt comes with a free house. You know, he's paying for the house. Why shouldn't she help pay for the house? Because they've been together for five years. It's the What's next step of a relationship. Yes, but she should either want to help buy the house or help out financially. Well, she clearly hasn't been asked in any way, shape or form. Maybe she thinks Matt is loaded and doesn't need any help buying his house. Well, he doesn't yeah. because he's doing it on his own and hasn't mentioned it to her in any way, shape or form about rent yeah. or mortgage. And he's, fa- and he's found a flat with a single bedroom. So, uh... <laughs> Yes, I'm afraid there's no room for you. <laughs> Matt, you need to speak up this very day. Get in touch with your girlfriend and say, I think there's been a terrible misunderstanding. I appear to hate you (laughs) he doesn't he doesn't i just think i just think he's buying this house and you know he wants to own it and if she i think this form if the form that i'm talking about exists and if that is still a thing i think problem solved because it will force 
the conversation. Well, because it should happen anyway, regardless of a form. Yes, no, it you should. shouldn't but, be but in this that's position. An easy, but that's an easy way to yeah, do yeah. to say that my my solicitor <clears> has <throat> insisted that you sign this form um, saying <laughs> we're breaking up. No, 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 so no. We're breaking. <laughs> no, no, that's not what we're suggesting. How do it, people get to this stage? I just don't understand it. Oh, baby steps. The Virgin listeners have stepped in to help. Uh, Jack, Jackie in Cheltenham says, Matt needs to tell his girlfriend he's not ready for her to live with him and hopefully she will wake up, smell the coffee, oh, and leave him. Matt, enjoy your new property. Do you think everyone's going to be on Maria's side in this? Because I thought, I, I didn't hate Matt. Uh, Hannah's in Sheffield My boyfriend bought a house when we had been dating for two years He had just graduated and I wasn't yet earning I asked him if he wanted to live uh, the alone bachelor life for a while But he said he wanted me to move in I just paid him rent I haven't heard of the form you mentioned, Graham Oh no, no, I wonder if anyone has Uh, We are now married, this is 12 years after the house purchase, and have a toddler. I no longer pay rent, but we still joint buying our next house. Well, that's a nice... See, Hannah and Sheffield, there there is a possible happy ending here for Matt and the girlfriend. Um, Wilma is in Glasgow. They can't live together just now, so why would his girlfriend assume it would change when he bought a house? He needs to tell her that nothing's changed. At least there'll be no bags for her to pack to move out with. Oh, yeah. Uh... It's not looking good for Matt and the girlfriend. Uh, Pete in Swindon. Yes. Oh, hang on. The consent occupier form does exist, as I'm going through a mortgage myself. I was right, everyone. I was right. My wife has to sign this, as I'm the only name on the mortgage. It's no problem. We talk about these things openly. That's what you have to do. Wise, Pete, wise. And final one to Rachel. Rachel says, of course, if she's moving in, she should pay half the bills. That's what you do in a relationship. He just needs to say, of course, you can move in. It's the next step of our relationship. However, you will need to contribute to the household expenditure. Oh, I mean, that's not a romantic chat, is it? That mentions household expenditure. Uh, listen, best of luck to Matt and his girlfriend. Uh, people aren't that hopeful, but you never know. Uh, I'm going to give the cheesecakes to Pete from Swindon, who confirmed my theory that there is a consent form if you're moving in. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined now by show chef Martha Collison. Uh, now, this cake, I mean, it, so before you slice it, it looks gorgeous. It's got sort of dribbling icing down the white frosting. It's got beautiful multicolored sprinkles. Mm-hmm. But uh, tell us what happens when you cut into it. Okay, yeah. So it's got all the bells and whistles on the outside, chocolate drips, all that you've just described. And then when you cut into it, it is, of course, a wonderful rainbow cake full of colour and vibrancy. <laughs> It is amazing. Uh, now, it's one of those, like, I feel bad, because I think we asked you to make this. Uh, and then you see it, you kind of think, oh, that was pretty quite hard to make. <laughs> so how, how many hours did this take? <laughs> it's a couple of hours spread over a couple of days. And people are often freaked out by making a huge cake. They think, oh, my goodness, I could never manage that. But the secret is just to pace yourselves. Don't try and do it all in one long six-hour stint, because you will be exhausted. But do it over a few days. <laughs> OK, but here's the thing. So, uh, so there's, six, there's six layers in this there are but did you have to because they're each a different colour are they each baked separately 
They are, yes, and mixed separately. So wash, find, make sure if you're not a washer-upper, find somebody who is in your household. Um, and some people think, oh, I need to have six tins, but actually you can do it with two and just batch bake it. So again, pace oh, I see. yourself. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mix each colour. And how hard is it to get the colours right? Because the colours are amazing. The colours are stunning. And sometimes you worry with food colouring. You think, oh, it's just, they're all going to come out grey. Because that can happen. <laughs> um, but Waitrose sell this amazing little kit, which is um, rainbow cake colours. And they're little tubes. And you know exactly how much to add to each layer to get that beautiful, vibrant red, orange, yellow, green. And the rest, the others. <laughs> and um, and then, does it affect the taste, the colour, or is the colour just colouring? So the colour in this cake is just colour. This is a recipe by the ever so fabulous John Waite. He's come up with this Pride Rainbow Cake for Waitress on the front cover. And it is so stunning. It doesn't have yeah. any other flavours, but he's added buttermilk to the sponge. So instead of, you think, oh, it's going to be so sweet, but actually it's got a lovely tang. Buttermilk's a bit like yoghurt, so you get kind of a lovely balanced tang between that and the Italian meringue icing. I mean, John Waits might be on the cover of the Waitrose Week magazine. Yours looks better, I'd say. I'd say John, <laughs> John, John Waits could look at yours and weep. Martha. I did weep. send him a picture and he said that I'd done a, and I've done a good job, so I feel like I've done him justice. Oh, and, and the rest, you've, he's, he's now um, food colouring green with envy. <laughs> um, and, and what is the icing then? Is the icing... It's an Italian meringue frosting. So it's similar to buttercream, but it's got a meringue base, which just means it's really light. It's obviously, this is a massive cake. You would need, you would be feel proud of yourself if you can manage to make this because it will serve about 30 people. You'd have to have the whole neighbourhood round. Um, but yeah, it's got a lovely light frosting. So even if you have a humongous slice, it doesn't feel too claggy or too sweet. I mean, it is a showstopper but you'd I, I mean, you'd have to be I don't think it's, it's nobody's first cake is it I it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah you want to work up to this <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite ambitious it's quite ambitious it's the sort of cake you look at and go that looks amazing where do I buy it because <laughs> uh, yeah I, the thought of making it but listen well done you Martha thank you so much for going to the trouble of making it oh my it pleasure is, it is epic the Graham Norton radio show with Waitrose you can taste when it's Waitrose Virgin Radio. Right, ladies and gentlemen, open your ears for it is time for my first guest of the day. An award-winning actor, television presenter and now author, Stephen Mangan joins us. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm terrific. How are you this morning? Beautiful day. I'm, I'm very well also. This conversation is going very well. <laughs> I was, I, I'm, I, I've been trying to sell your book and I feel like I'm not because I keep calling it clever and and it's like but it because it, okay so escape the rooms what I, it feels like the sort of book that it would be the first book someone read by themselves yeah maybe i think it's sort of aimed at eight plus that kind of age nine ten uh you're right it's a hard one to describe because uh it is a sort of funny adventure story uh about a couple of kids who end up in this weird, weird and wonderful world meet all these really crazy trippy, characters really trippy world i yeah. liked that that all came out of your head yeah. I mean, someone called it off the scale weirdness, which I think is the best review I've ever had for anything I've ever done. We can see um, where your hair, we can see where your hair came from. It came from that head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's about that. But it's also, it's also a book about childhood loss uh, and a bereavement, which makes it sound sort of sad. But I wanted to write about that stuff in a sort of fun and positive and, you know, joyful way. I think I'm a firm believer that comedy is the best vehicle for exploring all, all the sort of profound human experiences that we go through. And um, 
uh, obviously sort of bereavement because I lost my parents, uh, you know, is in my psyche. And I didn't set out to write a book that involved that. I wanted to write something funny and surprising and uh, something you never knew where it was going to go next because they were the books I loved as a kid. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the themes of bereavement and loss, you know, and friendship and giving yourself a bit of a break and, uh, you know, and, and not trying to solve you know, because kids feel when kids have problems that feel bigger than them, that feel oppressive and out of their control. I think, well, we all feel we need to solve this now. We need to sort it out. How, you know, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I get on top of this? And yes. I suppose the book is just saying, relax, be kind that, to yourself. It's okay. Yeah, it is that thing, isn't it? I think. I, I, either as children or even as younger people, you can't see the other side of something. You think you're going to feel like this forever. Yes, it feels like a huge wall you'll never get over. Um, and, uh, you know, with hindsight, we look back and you think, oh, I, you know, I shouldn't have worried. It will be OK. So I suppose it's a, it's a, it's a sort of feel-good book about bereavement. Yeah, and you know. I, Yes, and, and also we must stress, because what's great about the book is they are proper... They are proper escape rooms. So the two kids, Jack and Callie, they have to solve those kind of lateral thinking problems in the yeah. rooms. And there's funny jokes. They've got to come up with the punchlines for the jokes. And so where did you come up with those things or did you borrow them from other places? How did you come up with all the, the lateral problem thinkings? thinking? A bit things? of both. Yeah, a bit oh, of both. I mean, I... Yeah. I, I kind of love that stuff as a kid as well. I mean, I suppose also there's a little bit of my first book. I wanted to throw everything at it because, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not been my day job for the last few years. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a little bit of trepidation about trying something new. So I, I really wanted it to be as exciting and as, uh, you know, I know what kids' brains are like. I've got three boys of my own. They're just, they are they, they skip from here to there. You know, they, they, they can bounce and they're so malleable and uh, elastic. Uh, so yeah, there's all these puzzles, these silly jokes. There's someone with a biscuit fetish. There's duck with perfect teeth. There's a bungee jump gone wrong. I mean, it, you know, it's 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 a wild ride. Hopefully, it really is. And we should say, uh, beautifully illustrated by yes. uh, Anita. I have to say, even if the surname wasn't the same, you look at that picture, you kind of think related. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if ever my hair grows longer than my shoulders, uh, we just we look like identical twins. Yeah, my 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 incredibly slightly annoyingly talented sister Anita who uh, has done all the illustrations she's just got a, a genius for uh, for capturing uh, sort of you know eccentricity and, and, and oddness but also there's a real heart to her drawings uh, which is just a joy and that thing of you know they talk about singers who are related having you know harmonies or voices that match obviously the two of us grew up together she's only a year younger than me and uh, we just have sense of humours and sensibilities that are so in tune I never once had to say to her, no, that wasn't what I was thinking at all. You know, every single drawing she gave me, I just loved. And uh, Oh, well, that's fantastic. Because uh, you know, yeah, I just assumed so, there must have been some tense, mo <laughs> tense moments. Do you know what? Well, be because I'm so hopeless at art and uh, she has no ambitions to write, we just, you know, it was perfect because neither of us wanted to get involved in the other one's stuff. Uh, just occasionally, like, you know, I, I said that character had a cardigan on and you haven't drawn him with a cardigan. That's, that was about it, you know. Uh, uh, but also, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, well, I was you... just going to say, we're, we're in there as well. Uh, you know, there's a picture, one double page spread of a whole load of the, the people who love sniffing their new carpet. This oh, is yes. going to sound very weird to people. But Anita and I uh, are in that lineup, so people can spot us uh, there.
Oh, I'm going to turn to that page right now. Uh, Escape the Rooms by Stephen Mangan is out now, and Anita Mangan did the gorgeous illustrations. Uh, we're going to pause for music, your music. You've chosen a track. Uh, wh- what is it, and is there a reason? Yes, it's uh, The Hole of the Moon by the Waterboys. Um, I was unhappily at a boarding school uh, against my parents' wishes, uh, and one day uh, I found the Waterboys were playing in Brixton, and uh, I did the old stuff pillows in your bed and a black mohair jumper at the top to be my hair. <laughs> I walked five miles, five miles to the nearest train station, got on the train, blagged my way into the gig. Uh, so there was me in my public school uniform dancing at the Brixton Academy to, uh, to this song. Oh, what happy memories. I, I, suddenly that hair came into its own that you can double for a mohair jumper. That's... Thanks God for mohair. <laughs> that story you told Stephen about, you know, going to the British Academy, escaping from school. Like, it is incredible the things we did when we were kids. We should all be dead in a ditch. <laughs> Well, we should be. The, the worst bit was I'd left the, I'd unlatched, very cleverly unlatched the window of the dormitory so I could get back in. So at 3am, I got back to the school and I realised that the window was about seven feet off the ground and I couldn't actually get to it. So I huddled underneath it for three hours till the milkman turned up at six <laughs> and I got him to drive up to the window and I climbed on top of his float and got in that way. So yeah, it was, I mean, it's, I wasn't Jason Bourne, but almost. No, and also it does, it, it almost mirrors the book, <laughs> except you were trying to get back into a room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's where it all became from, yeah. Uh, we talked, uh, I, I do a podcast, a book club p- podcast, and you were on it talking about doing audiobooks for children. And you casually said you were doing the audio for Escape the Rooms. And as I was reading it, I kept thinking, wow, like Wanda sings. Wanda sings a lot. Does, uh, <laughs> does Stephen Mangan no, I mean, sing on the audiobook? Stephen Mangan had to do a lot of things that Stephen Mangan doesn't really do on that audiobook. I mean, as I was reading out, I thought, next time, bear this in mind, you fool. I mean, the, the, the language, I don't know if you remember the little hairy man with the uh, oh, yes, yeah, eye, yeah. Yeah, long the eyebrow eyebrows, hair, yes, yeah. stuck to his head with his spit. Uh, I mean, he talks in a language that is in English. And so that was that was a, a day and a half, just writing that out phonetically and trying to work out. Oh, yes, he's, got all, he's got all the UBs, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like 300 characters in that book and I had to try and come up with a different uh, voice for each one. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was a challenge. Because <laughs> we've spoken about uh, how your, pet, your children, you thought, you know, actors dream, young children, I'll read to them. They didn't like it. No, you think as an actor, you know, they'll look back and think, my dad used to put so much life into books that he would know. It's all, it's just read it, dad. Stop doing that accent. You, you can't do that accent, dad. Stop trying. <laughs> it's all bad. Stop showing so, uh, off. <laughs> literally. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll think I'll just start playing in the audio book instead of reading, them out, reading to them out loud and they can just deal with that. Uh, so the other thing we must ask you about is your Sky Art show, the portrait artist and landscape uh, artist when are they when are we going to see some more of them are there more you presumably you do them all the time oh yeah we do uh, we do one portrait and one landscape series a year so we've we've done the portrait artist uh, we've, we have a winner that'll go out I think in September and uh, the standard just gets better and better I think because Sky Arts is now free to air and everyone can watch it uh, you know the, the amount of people watching the show has just gone up exponentially and the amount of talent applying just seems to be getting better and better every year. Uh, and we start filming Landscape Artist of the Year on Wednesday. Uh, we're in Kent. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, we go to Cornwall and we go to the Lake District and we go to the Fourth Bridge. We're 
literally asking him to paint the fourth bridge. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, we, you know, we're out and about because last year we had to keep it, you know, fairly local. But yeah. uh, I just, abs- what a joy those shows are to watch. And the mighty, the mighty Joan Bakewell has been uh, unwrapped from cotton wool and is now back in the world. The unstoppable Joan Bakewell is back. Uh, she did, uh, well, she did Landscape last year. She didn't do Portrait. It's the only one series she missed in the height of the uh, the excitements of the uh of the pandemic so uh, she's back absolutely and uh, we are we are the the terrible duo uh, fronting it and you do it means you do lots of that you're now writing a book what about the actual day job uh, when will we when will we see you doing some acting again well, the uh, weirdly the uh, the day job starts on monday we start oh. filming uh, episode uh, series three of the split on monday oh fantastic uh, yeah so we'll be filming that all summer till september i've just read them they are Oh, they destroyed me. Abby Morgan, I mean, the first two series were, were, were big sort of uh, weepies and emotional sledgehammers. And uh, this series is, is even more devastating. So it's, uh, yeah, we're just doing five and it's the last series because Abby wants to wrap it up. Uh, so Nicola uh, Walker and I will be uh, wrestling with whether to divorce or not all summer. Because did you, when that first series hit, was, it, was that going to be a one-off it wasn't, but I think you don't know if the show will be a hit. So, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes people write series with a big cliffhanger at the end going, you wait till series two, <laughs> uh, and there never is a series two. Yeah, you wait. So, yeah. But, the, you know, the show's just been, I think it was the fourth most popular show on iPlayer last year in all of all programs. So it was wow. a huge lockdown kind of uh, festival. People really enjoyed watching it. So, But I think also at the same time, Abby's very smart because you've got to know when to stop and you don't want to carry on flogging this story. Oh, they're going to get divorced. Oh, they're not. Oh, they, yes, they are. You know, series 15. Yeah. So she's <laughs> wrapping it up after after series three. Well, good luck with that and congratulations and congratulations on the book. Escape the Rooms by Stephen Mangan is out now. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Pop star, podcaster, now author, Jesse Ware joins us now. Hello, Jesse Ware. Hello, Graham Norton. So nice to chat to you. Oh, well, thank you so much for this book. Honestly, it is such a happy thing. It makes me feel, I mean, we're not, it's not like we're not, it's not like we're enemies, but I now feel like we're good (laughs) friends having read this book. Listen, I I have to say, and I have to say it, you are the greatest publicist. Letting me be on your TV show, it basically resurrected an album. And so, so thank you, Graham. So I felt like we were best mates from then. And, well, you look stunning, you sounded stunning, and you mentioned this book then, and you had the word for what this is, and I could not remember it this morning, it's been annoying me. So it's a memoir about food. No, you do remember it, and you know that I don't like saying it, I think. So it's called Foodwar. And it's Food. a terrible word. See, I was thinking femoir, but I think it can't be a femoir. That sounds <laughs> I, I like mean... some, a product or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you need to, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a foodoir. No, no, no. Yes, it's a foodoir. But I kind of just say food memoir because that makes me feel less sick in my stomach. Um, so yeah, foodoir, it's a, it's a memoir uh, surrounded by food. So it's not my total life, but it's definitely a lot of very important moments in my life over a dinner table, over uh, a glass of wine, making mistakes with that glass of wine and, um, and an omelette. 
And it's stories and anecdotes, and then there are recipes. But what I love about the recipes is they're, they're recipes you don't normally find. But, you know, there's a spag ball, there's trifle, there's v- so many recipes for toast. I can't tell you. There's a whole subsection on toast. <laughs> yeah, look, it, I, I did a cookbook with my mum last year, and I just thought that we didn't need to do another cookbook. It was definitely more a narrative-led, you know, memoir in that sense. But just to shove in, you know, my father-in-law's spag ball recipe that, I mean, look, it's to be taken with a pinch of salt, excuse me. Pinch of cinnamon. Yeah. And cinnamon and a glug of wine. Big glug. <laughs> oh, yes. The wine shouldn't burn off. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> um, to- talk to us about your tooth. Your tooth. <laughs> One of the oh, longest God. chapters is the story of your tooth. Oh, my poor, well, my poor tooth that is no more. So my sister knocked it out when I was seven. And so, and I just got it through. So it was like a fresh new front tooth. And that is some rough housing right there. Yeah, and if you, if you look at my sister, she is the most beautiful, exquisite, angelic looking person. She is the devil and she still is. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, so this tooth, it kind of was, um, you know, a temporary putty situation. Now, there's been many moments where that tooth um, has come out or sh- embarrassed me um, from when it came out with a toffee apple. Um, my mum still made me do a singing competition the next day because she took me to the emergency dentist in Streatham. And I had, I looked horrendous. I looked like kind of like I had false teeth. I mean, it was a false tooth, but it protruded. <laughs> and then, um, and I lost this singing competition to Florence Welch, which is quite fair enough. Um, but I blame the tooth. And, um, and then the next time when I started going raving in my kind of 16, 17, 18, it, it, it was very visible that it was a fake tooth because it didn't shine like the rest of them in UV light. So there, then I looked like a kind of total thug on the dance floor as I smiled at a song. Then my husband knocked it out when we were on a, a kind of first few months of dating when we were, we were at Fabric and he kind of did a trigger finger and went, bo when the, um, when the DJ kind of did a really good tune and he knocked it out because I was designated driver in Machinque Centre. So it's had many different um, <laughs> situations. I now have a veneer and it's treating me a little bit better, but I'll probably knock it out later. And you talk about the, the singing competitions. You were one of those kids. Like you wanted, you, there's kind of weird thing in you where you, you want the attention and then you kind of don't want the attention. Oh, it's so weird. No, with the singing thing, I really have to thank lots of other people for being pushy because it was like I did not want to do a singing competition on a Sunday morning in Blackheath. Um, I wanted to just hide and I would see these other very confident girls, but then I'd sing and I kind of looked down, but I, but I still did it. It was kind of my mum. I don't, it was, I remember my mum made me go for, um, pop idol after Will Young one. And, and I was doing my blooming AS levels and I could have, I should have been studying. She went, if you want to be a star, she's Gypsy Rose, totally. <laughs> and she's like, you want to be a star? You got to go for pop idol. And, um, <laughs> I, I did not get through the first round because I just looked at the floor and kind of apologised for being there. I'm quite thankful I didn't, but um, but no, it's um, yes, I've been very lucky with other people being um, kind of bigger fans of me than myself. So yeah. Uh, very quickly, just tell us about Eat Your Words, uh, the show. Oh, I never... that short-lived uh, gem of a telly show, yeah. Yeah, so again, <laughs> again, was it your mother who suggested you go on it or did you want to go on it? <laughs> no, I think it was like, it was a thing in the sc- school. Uh, they selected, I think, some of the most like mouthy or chatty people, which is me. And uh, and I was in, I think, year five, and me and my mate Felix White, we we kind of got chosen to be on this TV show and it was done by schools. 
and it was this TV show that was on so early in the morning. And um, <laughs> it was all about, I mean, it just shouldn't be allowed. It was kind of this thing where you, you were basically at school again and you had to answer these questions, relatively simple, to be honest. And then the forfeit, if you didn't answer it right, was that you had to eat something disgusting. And I just don't think that that would like float these days. So it's like and also, you, you ruined the format. <laughs> I totally ruined the show because I quite enjoyed, you know, custard and peas. And I was like, and they were like, oh my God, it's so (laughs) disgusting. And I was like, nah, it's nice. So, um, yeah, it it didn't last long. Jesse Ware's book, Omelette, is out now in hardback audio and ebook. And uh, I, I suddenly remembered. Did, when I when you were on the TV show uh, mm. with uh, the album, uh, you were uh, with Child. Are you still yeah. with Child, or is it out now? <laughs> it's still here in my tummy, Castleware. Very happy. Um, it's yeah, it's coming out. I hope in like four weeks, maybe. I mean that. It, I mean, I don't mean to be rude. That seems like a really long pregnancy. <laughs> Actually, Graham, it's it's just nine to ten. Yeah, no, it's the it's the proper it's the proper length. I just looked quite humongous, I think, on your TV show. <laughs> I mean, um, are you one of those women who gets very pregnant very quickly? Well, I think when you're on your third, it just kind of it's like muscle memory. But it did make me laugh when, like, you know, a tabloid paper goes. Jessie Ware looks ready to pop and I'm like I'm 17 weeks pregnant (laughs) (laughs) Um, so presumably that's I mean things are opening up now but I guess uh, a baby's putting everything on hold in terms of God I thought um, you were talking about something else Graham Jesus (laughs) right sorry Jesus no yes carry on sorry no I meant about I meant about the end of lockdown and (laughs) live music performances coming back Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, She's dilating on the radio. No, I think it's like these positive affirmations. I'll have Graham in my ear when I'm going into labour. Things are opening up. Um, yeah. No, yes, things will be opening up, um, but a bit delayed now, maybe. I don't know. Um, and and for you, today. very for you, it's quite timing, quite good, because, you know, you're you're about to pop out a baby, so you won't be anywhere. Well, I, yeah, I've got this tour in the UK um, booked for December, which is, I think, nearly sold out, which is amazing. And so um, me and the newborn will be going on tour, um, disco dancing for What's Your Pleasure, which will be really, really fun, if it's allowed, that is. On that album, I mean, I, I, I've gushed to you in person, but it was really the soundtrack of my summer last year. And you've brought out the new version of the album. Yeah. Yeah, I just felt like it had this... It was kind of this, um, it, it, it was connecting with people and and there was kind of the first wave, God, I sound like I'm talking about it as a pandemic, but um, <laughs> but, but um, it was really, it was amazing uh, to see the reaction. And then, you know, there was the Barack Obama kind of end of year playlist. You put me on your t- TV show and it just kind of kickstarted it again. So I thought I need to put some more music out. The new record that I'm doing after this isn't going to be exactly like What's Your Pleasure. And I had all these songs and it just felt so good for the summer. So we kind of fitted it all in. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'd recommend putting out a book the day before you put out a deluxe record because I just feel incredibly greedy that I'm asking people to kind of get all these different bits and bobs. But it has been amazing to be able to have new music out and for people to enjoy it, hopefully a little freer than they were last, last year. So you, that sounds like you are working on new music for a new album, uh, if you yeah. say it's going to be different. Yeah, yeah. I've kind of written, I think the, the, I've nearly written the majority of it. I mean, I think like uh, it sounds very uncreative to say 75% there. Um, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, we're going to go and produce it, I think, at the beginning of next year. And it feels really good. It's definitely 
it's a similar, I feel like it's kind of, it takes off um, where, you know, uh, remember where you are left, uh, left the album. It kind of is, it's, it's that kind of world, but with a bit more um, tempo and energy. So well, we're, we're about like to play it. the, uh, the new single hot and heavy. Yeah. Anything you want to yeah. tell us about it before we, the, the, the nation hears it? This is me pretending I'm Gloria Estefan in the 80s with the My Enemy Sam Machine lot and, and just having a lot of fun. Fantastic. Jesse Ware's uh, new book, Omelette, is out now in hardbook, ebook, and audiobook. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Jesse. Take care of yourself thank and good you, luck with Graham. Bobby. Bye. Thank you. Lots of love. Bye. Coming up, Joe Wicks gives us our fix of quick, easy meals with his new cookbook. But first, the wonderful Jack Guinness gives us a whistle-stop tour of the queer Bible. Uh, this man was once called by GQ magazine the coolest man in Britain. What the hell is he doing here? Well, he's flogging a book, isn't he? He's put together uh, a book of essays called The Queer Bible. He's a writer, he's a, a model, he's a TV presenter, and he's my guest, Jack Guinness. Welcome to the show, Jack. Hi, Graham. How are you? Do you know I'm all right, thank you very much. Ticking along. <laughs> exactly, ticking along. So, um, well, where to start with this? The, so, the... The Queer Bible, it began as a website, is that right? Yes, so basically the premise of the project is I ask my heroes to write about their LGBTQ plus hero and then each essay is accompanied by an original illustration by an artist from around the world. So you're basically, it's like a buy one, get one free where you get the writer's story and then you also get the story of someone that changed their life. So all the essays are about a kind of light bulb moment when someone realises who they are, they accept who they are, um, and they kind of become who they are. So yeah, stories of becoming. Yeah, and I like it because there's some surprising people in here. You know, but, but it, as you say, it's to do with how they affected the person. Like I wasn't, I, I didn't expect to see Tim Curry in this book. Tim Curry is a brilliant one. So all the contributors chose their own person and often when they came back to me and said oh you know may martin for example wrote the piece on tim curry and may martin came to me and said i want to do the piece on tim and i was like out of every single person you want to do tim curry i don't think tim curry's ever even spoken publicly about their sexuality and the essay is this mind-blowing breakdown it's really funny it's brilliant it's classic may martin but it's a breakdown of how Maybe labels aren't important and maybe in the future it's really helpful now that we have labels so people can, you know, be protected by laws and, and define themselves. And that's a beautiful thing. But it's this kind of really exciting essay about maybe in the future there won't be any labels. Maybe it'll be on gender, be on sex. It's quite exciting, really. Like the 70s. Yeah, and it's, it's weird because I imagine uh, in interviews I've read with Tim Curry, you know, he's not that interested in his role in all of no, that. No, but he but, couldn't care less. Yeah, but I, I love that that he's in the book because he affected he affected them in that way. And um, so I I'm in the book. I should full disclosure. I'm in the book. I did Armistead Mopan, but you and there's lots of people in the book. Uh, who are the who are the big gets? I mean, obviously Elton is your is your cover star. I El, mean, Elton John is my cover star. He's my he's my centerfold. <laughs> How did you get Elton? Um, well, I'd met Elton a few times at different fashion events over the years. Like, and I mean, like, breezed past me and I reached out and tried to touch the back of his Gucci um, <laughs> jacket to kind of imbue me with some of his queer power. Um, and then I also knew David Furnish through their work with the Elton John AIDS Foundation. And it's one of those examples in life of just try, try, try again and just have no shame whatsoever. So I kept emailing saying, look, you know, the book's nearly finished. The book's nearly finished. Would you like to be part of it? 
And eventually, I know it's awful to say, but because of lockdown, a lot of people that previously would just be too busy to do it were able to do it. So one day I just got an email back from Elton's team and David Furnish saying Elton would love to be in the book. And I completely lost it. I just burst into tears. It was like an absolute dream come true. He's my fairy godmother. And a great choice for his uh, icon as well. Yeah, so he wrote about Divine, uh, the amazing punk larger-than-life drag star from the kind of John Waters movies from the 80s. And I have, like, memories of, of Divine, but Elton talks about going out clubbing with Divine and having nights out with Freddie Mercury. And there's a brilliant bit in the essay... Um, where Elton talks about stealing an ashtray from a restaurant and then Divine... <laughs> it's so good. It's like it's Elton John. And then Elton and Divine go out clubbing and I think Elton says that he's wearing a caftan and they try and get into a nightclub and they won't let them in, which is... I mean, what gay nightclub, self-respecting gay nightclub, won't let Divine and Elton at the height of his powers in? Who was in? Who was in <laughs> Who there? Who was in there? Who was gayer than them? <laughs> Liberace was in there by himself. Um, and, then, and then brilliantly, and I love that Elton just admits this, because Elton's got nothing to lose. He's like a legend. You can't touch Elton. Elton says that they threw their ashtrays at the, at the doorman and were like, we're out of here. And then just left and went to another club. And the club was called like something brilliant, like Club Crisco or something like that. <laughs> different times. Different it, was, times. it was a different time. Uh, now, you also chose a, a drag superstar as your icon. And I love that, that this person actually kind of inspired the whole Queer Bible project. Absolutely. So I picked RuPaul and I'm very jealous that you have been so close uh-huh. and worked with RuPaul. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love also, I read that you said the other day that that was the only job you've ever actually really tried to get. Is yeah. that true? Yeah, no, I actually sent an email saying, can I be on this, please? You actually yeah. sent a whole email. Yeah, I was a little drunk. <laughs> you weren't. I love that. I, I did wake up the next morning with regret, because I literally did it before I went to bed, because they were in America, the people I knew who worked on the show. So I sent it very late at night. I thought, oh, this is bad. But anyway, I got the job, so uh, no humiliation, it's fine. I think uh, the lesson <laughs> of this interview is have a few drinks and then email your hero because you might end up hosting RuPaul's Drag Race and I might end up with Elton John in my book. Uh, So anyway, tell us your relationship with RuPaul. So I've just been obsessed with RuPaul since I was a little kid and I remember watching, um, weirdly, Elton John as well. Elton John and RuPaul re-released Don't Go Breaking My Heart with Kiki D. Do you remember that? I do, yes. And in the video, they're playing like famous lovers throughout history. It is so camp and it's so funny. And as a little sweet, effeminate child, I was watching it and I didn't know what RuPaul was. Like, I knew that RuPaul was something more and different, but I didn't quite understand the concept of drag. I just thought RuPaul was this fabulous, like, beautiful, black, Glamazonian creature. And I that started a lifelong obsession that's carried on till today. So my essay, I write all about um, how the whole project started because I watched Drag Race and RuPaul has all these little in-jokes and references like movies. And I think a lot of young LGBTQ plus people or just young people don't have those role models to kind of initiate them into culture and and give them all the kind of the movie references, the song references. Um, So the book was me wanting to kind of do a guide to queer history, basically, so that I could learn and understand all of RuPaul's injects. Uh, Well, 
honestly, hats off to you because it can't have been easy. An enormous amount of work has gone into this book and it is a fantastic resource for anyone, really. There's lots of interesting essays in it, but I'm with you. For I think for a lot of kind of young queer people don't understand how they've ended up where they are, how they've ended up in living in the world they live in. And um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's great for all of that. And Jack, in the book, you... I, I think it's really kind of moving what you're saying that you talk about when you were a little boy and you had these certain dreams and aspirations and they were quite, you know, you wanted a fabulous life. Yes, I was uh, quite the dreamer when I was a kid. <laughs> and I grew up in South London in the 80s, but I was the youngest, so everything was hand-me-down. So it felt like the 70s and maybe even the 60s. So everything was very beige and we had like a beige Volvo and I didn't realise that <laughs> like, bran flakes could be corn flakes. Like everything, <laughs> pasta was brownie beige. Like it was all just... Lovely, lovely mm. sense of community, great family, but it, it, it wasn't bright and colourful. And I definitely longed for like the the sparkle and the glamour of, of Soho and drag queens. <laughs> and then and then you got that, but somehow it wasn't enough. Yeah, it was weird. So I've worked in fashion for quite a few years. So it meant that I did eventually get to go to lots of fun, glamorous parties and, you know, wear beautiful borrowed clothes that weren't my own um and yeah it wasn't enough and it it, it it I loved it and it was really fun and I've had a really exciting career but there was definitely a point where I wanted a bit more meaning and I and what's brilliant about this project about the queer bible book is so many of the contributors are people that I've met over the years but now kind of I'm managing to turn my wicked shallow life into something of a little bit more meaning <laughs> Well, uh, honestly, Jack, it is, uh, you are, you know, you you aren't the person I would have expected to actually get down on, you know, work hard and create this this really meaningful thing. It's is it because really, you thought I couldn't read? Well, there was that. Yes. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, I just thought you're out every night. You don't have time to be putting together a book. Yeah, you, I, I wrote this on the, on the, in the car on the way to the uh, party. <laughs> But and what what is the what is your life like now? I mean, are you still modelling? Yes, I am, and I'm still working with British GQ. I'm a contributing editor there, so I'm still very much in the fashion world. But this project's so exciting because it's you know for years I was selling you know slacks and shoes and things like that and which was fun and it was great don't get me wrong but now it's really fun because it's not about me and it's not about me selling myself it's about me using my tiny little platform that I've got to elevate the stories of other people and like this book is what the exciting thing is that it's a mix of like these huge big names but then there's also activists that people have never heard of and they're rightly being put in the same level as people like you know RuPaul and George Michael so I'm really enjoying the focus not being on me and actually kind of um, shining a light on these other people that have done incredible things, you know, much better than just, you know, selling cardigans like I've been for the last 10 years. Now, you sold those cardigans beautifully, Jack. Do Thanks, not, Graham. Do, do not sell yourself short. There was panache. <laughs> but but the other thing I think is, is worth uh, kind of you know, patting you on the back about is that it's, it's one thing to have the idea and to start a project like this, but... To get it over the finish line, to have it published, to have it as a finished thing, that's the hard bit. That's Because there must have been moments when you kind of think, oh, it's quite difficult, this. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll it, go back to slacks. Yeah, I'll go and stand still enough to have someone take my photograph. <laughs> I was really good at that. But I'm getting a bit wobbly in my old age, Graham, so I did need a, I did need a side hustle. But no, the definitely. And um, 
I love all the contributors, um, but there are a lot of them and they all have incredible lives. They're all very busy and also their illustrations in the book as well. So I wasn't just dealing with the 24 writers, but I was dealing with 24 illustrators all around the world. And it was like herding queer cats at times. <laughs> um, so it, it was a lot. But I, whenever I got tired, I just remembered that like this isn't for me. This is like my gift, not just to the LGBTQ plus community, but to everyone else so that we can all celebrate the contribution that these incredible people have made not just to gay culture queer culture but to culture at large you know I love the idea that you know grannies loved Liberace without necessarily knowing that he was gay like LGBTQ plus people have been making contributions and much bigger ones than Liberace to to humanity to culture to history and this book is like a joyous celebration of that so whenever I got tired to answer your question I just remembered this isn't about me this is about a bigger picture and that spurred me on and very quickly, Jack, am I right in thinking the Queer Bible is going to be making an appearance on Virgin Radio Pride? It is. We're doing a... Virgin Pride Radio. Virgin Pride Radio. How do you say that? I don't even know. It's Virgin. It's proud. It's so much. So much I to really, take in. I really should find out. I'm trying to look at a bit of paper. I'll know. I'll no, know later. I'm going, I'll know you're later. correct. I'm going to be a proud virgin. And we're doing a special show, which is going to have extracts from the audiobook. So some of my incredible contributors, you're going to be hearing their voices. And we're going to be doing a special playlist inspired by um, the essays and illustrations in the book. So it's going to be really fun. Um, and I'm not sure when it's happening. And you don't even know what it's called, but it is going to be great. No, it's Virgin Radio Pride, I know now. <laughs> so, someone just whispered away, it's Virgin Radio Pride. Uh, it is. And well, listen, good luck with that, Jack. And good luck with the book. The Queer Bible by Jack Guinness is out now. It's a, such an achievement. I'm, I'm. I feel. I feel like an old gay dad, oh, and uh, I'm very proud of you. Thank I'm really you. genuinely proud of you. Uh, so much pride. So much pride. <laughs> All right. Take care, Jack. Thanks, Bye. Graham. Bye. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. He's the nation's favourite fitness guru. He's also uh, a chef. Is probably the wrong, but he's a cook. He makes beautiful food. Uh, Joe's family food is the name of the book. Joe Wick is the name of the man and he's joining us now hello joe good afternoon graham how you doing i'm very well what do you call yourself a cook no you're right i definitely don't put myself in a chef category i think i'd say more of a trainer who likes to share recipes on instagram that's about it really i got well got lucky with the books didn't i well listen I, the books because I mean, this is family food and it probably is family food i mean down to the fact you know when you say serves four you actually mean two adults and two kids yeah, well, I actually did a book of, uh, about a year and a half ago, which was a weaning book for, like, you know, weaning children onto um, solid food. So this is kind of a follow-on, if you like, from that. So it's about, you know, getting families sitting down, enjoying food together. There's a few recipes which you can actually, like, get the kids involved in. And I really believe it's it's so important to role model at a young age, the importance of food and, you know, in, enjoying that process, having it as a time to connect and a kind of communicate as opposed to just, like, you know, sit in front of the TV and it's all ready meals. And that's what my childhood was like. It was frozen dinners. It was, like in and out there was no kind of you know it wasn't very mindful so for me it's about bringing families together i think it's a wonderful thing to do and imagine as a parent you know you're killing two birds with one stone in that you're you're having healthy food but you're also spending time with your kids which you know yeah. you had them you should like them <laughs> so yeah exactly well i've got um i've got two kids now. i've got a little boy and a, and a little girl um who three and well one's three and one's one and a half and it, yeah like we don't I'm not they're not cooking me every single night but sometimes if it's at breakfast, you know, we'll make porridge and they top their porridge and stuff with their berries and their peanut butter. Or we might make, um, you know, little breakfast muffins and just getting them involved. And we make mess. It's chaos. You have to embrace the fact there's going to be mess everywhere. But it's, it's important learning and they love it. It lights up their world. And when they sit down and enjoy the food, I think they interact with it better. I think they're more open to trying new things when they've kind of been involved in the process, I think. 
And obviously the food in this book is, you know, primarily it's very healthy, it's very balanced. But as a parent, how how strict and watchful are you uh, for your kids? Well, I mean, they've because I wrote that book, I was, I was working with a, a nutritionist who specialised in like infant and sort of, you know, child, child nutrition. And I was really kind of challenging them. I was trying new things. I was giving them like, you know, butternut squash and lentil and curries and just things from a really young age. So they've been quite adventurous, but it, it does get challenging. You know, they, they start to reject certain foods. But the, the trick is, I think, rather than just giving them boiled, you know, steamed vegetables which don't tr- taste great, if you can start to roast them in, in the oven with some curry powder or some cumin and paprika, it, it comes to life. So they'll eat things like kale and cauliflower and broccoli if it's roasted and it's just about trying new things but yeah we still have a odd, you know we have the odd takeaway we get a pizza delivery and stuff and we have a blight and have some ice cream it's not like we're like eating perfect food every week but this is this is just about giving your you and your kids a chance to start with a healthy diet at home and i think it's going to re- really be life-changing for some families out there do you feel like you've set yourself up to be so kind of judged like when you go to a restaurant if you order something not healthy does the waiter kind of look at you and roll their eyes kind of oh really oh you're having a burger <laughs> Yeah, well, some, sometimes people make make jokes and stuff, but obviously they don't think I'm gonna have a drink and have a dessert and stuff. But I'm I'm, like, I'm the biggest foodie you'll ever meet. Like, I I love a, I love gin and tonic. I collect like flavored gins, and I love chocolate. I love cakes and desserts. So I've got a really sweet tooth, and I've even got some nice recipes in the book about you know like party and sort of celebration things of some nice sort of cakes and some homemade ice cream and things because kids need these treats. So I definitely I'm not like someone who cuts it out. In fact, I'm really honest. I, I share like, if I'm having an emotional day or I'm stressed and I turn to food and I, I share that because it shows people that you are human and we sometimes as a response to stress and feeling a bit down we, we eat and so it's it's nice to be open I think and share that. And what's it going to be like when because li- your kids are little now you can kind of control what they eat to a certain extent what's it going to be like when they go out into the big bad world and come back kind of you know full of jelly <laughs> and sugar? Yeah I think I think it's one of the things one of the challenges parents face is as ch- children become teenagers obviously they start to resist exercise a bit they're kind of more self-conscious and the same with food, they can start making their own choices. They've got pocket money, they can go, you know, and buy their own food. So I think it's just about navigating it and trying your best to, again, bring them together, try and exercise as a family, try and enjoy yeah. meal times and cooking. I mean, as I, like I said, when I was a kid, it was like microwave dinners, frozen crispy pancakes and potato waffles. We'd grab our food and we'd be sitting in front of the TV. There was, it wasn't a moment where we actually talked and communicated. I might just like run off to my room with my food. And so for me, having that time coming together, it's not going to be every night, obviously, with work and we get busy, but trying to sit down and enjoy food together, it, it makes it a moment to connect. And that is really powerful, I think, when it comes to food. But what, all I'm thinking is, you know, you rebelled against your parents and now you're doing all that. Thing. I feel your children will probably do the same thing. They'll be like, yeah, there'll be frozen frozen pancakes, a go-go. Uh, yeah, no, no that won't happen. They won't. That, will, that won't happen, Joe. It'll all be fine. Uh, so, Joe, I first became aware of you kind of through the food books. I would see the, you know, the Lean in 15 books in the, in the supermarket and in the bookshops and then kind of, you know, I, who is this man who's... Everyone seems to know. Everyone seems to know who he is. How's he's not on telly? How did that happen? Um, uh, when did you decide to start the YouTube channel? How did that happen? So I suppose my my first time on social media really was with, with workouts. I started sharing workout videos on YouTube, and that was kind of that took a long time to grow. It was a slow process. But then when Instagram released video, I think it was in 2014, I started sharing those mad, you know, lean and 15 reps, was just throwing the food in the pan, super high energy and. It cut through the noise, I think, and it made it really simple. I think people love the fact that I was having fun, I was learning to cook, I was being silly, I was sort of making it really accessible, and people really caught, caught on to that. And then that obviously led it, led into my first book deal with um, Pam McMillan, and this is my 10th book. So, yeah, in the space of, I think it's six years, I've, I've just been told I've sold 3.5 million books from my iPhone, basically. I mean... <laughs> 
This is mad, isn't it? I still can't believe that. Yeah, get a chef. <laughs> Um, and, and what was your story before that? So you were were you a personal trainer, or what was you were just working in a gym? What was what was your background? Yeah, so I was I was a personal trainer running like outdoor boot camps, and like anyone, you know, struggling to get business. And I used to find it really difficult getting new clients. I used to turn up, and sometimes there'd be nobody there. And I was really persistent. I would go flying outside Richmond Station. I'd hand out flyers during rush hour, and I just had this mentality that I would never give up and just wouldn't stop. And so I kept doing that and. Same with Instagram, you know, when you f- first posted a video on Instagram and you've got no one following, you're literally just throwing it out into a vacuum. But I kept sharing, I kept, you know, every day new recipes and just built that kind of community. And I had no- one thing I think people think is that I had this big ambition to be a be an entrepreneur and be like, you know, have cookbooks and DVDs and stuff. But for me, it really, I just love sharing the recipes. I just love knowing that people were like sitting on a bus, watching the video, grabbing the ingredients and going home and cooking it. So for me, it was like an accidental s- success story. But I've worked obviously so hard in the past sort of, nine ten years to, yeah. to build my audience and even with p with joe like, i did that every single day for you know 18 weeks the workouts for the kids which i love so i, I work really hard and i'm just passionate i think when people see that you know after all the years of following they can see i really love doing this and and also it's that great thing is that because you you were young you were able to kind of take a risk and and plug away at it even if it wasn't doing well you know and now you're reaping the rewards of that and and because now you couldn't do it because now you've got kids and you know responsibilities and all those sorts of things you you know you you can't take those those big risks in the same way anymore yeah i definitely agree i think the timing was right you know i was living with my dad in a flat and i had my iPhone and I was just sort of sharing the recipes. There was no production value. It wasn't costing me anything to do it. And, you know, I think at that time there's probably 300 million users on Instagram, right? But now there's over a billion. So it's harder now to stand out because there has been there have been body coaches and deliciously yellows and all these people that have had amazing success. So I think now it's a much, it's much more crowded audience of people trying to, you know, share the same sort of content. So, yeah, I think I was just at the, at the right time with the right energy. And even now, you know, I've been doing it 10 years, but I still get a buzz. I still love seeing people do my workouts and, I spend a lot of time reading messages and DMs and people that are tra- transforming their lives really through my yeah. my fitness content on my on my workouts and stuff. And you, you I actually bumped into you know, the um the children in need thing. So I done the twenty four hour challenge, didn't I? Where I raised oh, um, yes. money for children in need. I did the twenty four hour workout, which is pretty intense. Like, yeah. so I love that I've been able to like use my platform also to do amazing things for that as well. And is it global, Joe, or is it mostly kind of the UK? A lot of my book sales success is in the UK because I haven't really done. I haven't really done much, you know, work abroad. But um, in terms of my app and my, my my fitness workout content on YouTube, that's global. So yeah, I mean, a hu- we had a hundred million views on the YouTube videos, and that was over the the um the year we were in lockdown, obviously, and that's globally. So yeah, it was really it was school kids in the UK, but I had kids in Australia and in India and in South America. It was it was incredible how many people took part in that. Wow, I mean, you are I mean proper inspiration, Joe. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's an amazing uh, story, and it's a brilliant, friendly, family-friendly book. Uh, everything's kind of so easy, so simple, and uh, and of course, because your family looks so lovely. <laughs> there's, the, there's this kind of thing. If we eat this food, will we be really attractive and happy? Well, listen, it's, <laughs> my, my, we might look we might look like the perfect family on Instagram, but it's, it's absolute chaos here. Trust me, it's a mess. <laughs> there's kids screaming and snot everywhere. It's I'm, it's just like any other family. Yeah, but post some of those videos. Post some of those videos. That's, we, we, need, we need to see that uh, Joe thank you so much for joining us today uh, Joe's family food is out thank now thank you so much mate alright take care of yourself sir bye take Bye-bye. care mate bye bye thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast with Waitrose I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning and don't forget the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday chat soon <laughs>